Cooper, the keeper, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 227. And since we're in the same Women's World Cup group as Sweden, again, and the North Carolina Courage just signed a Swedish player, it's only appropriate that I connect number 227 with Hanna Youngberg, the dynamic striker who led the Swedes to their first and only appearance in a Women's World Cup final back in 2003. She had 227 appearances with her hometown club, Umeo, and I hope I'm saying that right, leading them to seven club championships, and she earned 130 international caps, scoring 72 goals for Sweden, which was at one time uh, the record for the country. All right, so three chats today in a pretty big episode, because I know it's been a couple weeks since I put out a mix zone. Happy New Year to everybody. We're now in 2019, a Women's World Cup year. First chat is with Travis Clark from TopDrawerSoccer.com. If you haven't checked out TopDrawer, they track youth and college players, so like college commitments, rankings for college players, a lot of great stuff on their site. Uh, Travis is going to have a mock NWSL draft out by Wednesday, so you'll definitely want to take a look at that. We talked about, you know, how he does his job and, you know, what players he thinks will will likely be first-rounders later this week at the draft in Chicago. Then I sat down with Monica Gonzalez in Houston, had a nice long chat with Monica, um, not just about Dastuff, much more about her journey um, to getting to the point where she wanted to start coaching and why she made the commitment to the Dash and decided to move from Mexico back to her home state of Texas and and get involved with NWSL. we meander a little bit onto other other topics, uh, but I, I think you'll enjoy it. And I apologize that where we taped ended up being a lot louder than I anticipated, um, but hopefully you can still enjoy that segment. And last, uh, but definitely not least, I had a great chat with Jill Lloyden, uh, who covers SEC soccer, and she, of course, was a goalkeeper for the U.S. National Team in 2011 at the Women's World Cup, and... All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Travis Clark, the go-to guy when it comes to youth soccer, college soccer, uh, with TopDrawerSoccer.com. Travis, I, I don't know how you keep straight all of the uh, youth players out there, the college commitments, um, the rankings, the stats. I mean, give me a little clue. Yeah, so obviously we, we know that the magnitude, the scale and magnitude of what we try to pull off is difficult. But I think the fact that part of what makes our job doable is our just recognition throughout the market, whether that's, you know, girls or boys club soccer, whether that's men's or women's college soccer. And, you know, that's predominantly for Division One programs. The um, the network we've built up helps us to try and basically do our best. But at the end of the day, we also know that we're not going to get 100 percent of these correct. So um, we have a large player database on our website. and. A lot of what helps me now, if I've been doing this long enough, as as I don't know if it's depressing is not the right word, but it's, it just makes me realize how old I am. Is like a lot of these players that are now coming through the NWSL and MLS drafts are players that I first watched play in youth soccer. So that you know, like Andy Sullivan, I know that she's not in this draft, obviously, but like I started my job and she was either a junior or senior in high school, and so that kind of dates me a little bit. But I think it also helps you watch players track their development and get a sense of who they are beyond just like 
oh, how how did you do in the college, you know, the college season before you you're drafted or you how how good were you your senior year? So it's it's throwing a bunch of stuff together. It's texting coaches, it's emailing club or college coaches when we can, but um, a lot of it is also just watching a lot of soccer. And at the end of the day, when that's your job, you can't complain too much. <laughs> good, good point. Well, and tell me a little bit too about the rankings. You know, you guys do say for you know Division One women's soccer, uh, preseason, mm-hmm. kind of midseason, and postseason. What goes into those rankings? How, I mean, how uh, does that? I'm, yeah, you know, it's again, it's a little bit of the same. It's knowing players and knowing them before they get to school with seeing how they perform when they get to that level. It's talking to coaches and um, the, I will admit, hopefully my boss isn't listening, but the rankings aren't my favorite thing to do. I would, I would feel more comfortable doing like a preseason watch list, which I know a lot of conferences do, but I've just never had the time to sit down and kind of flesh that out again, because I'm busy. I'm trying to, I'm busy trying to keep pace with other players or other levels of the game. So, uh, you know, you have to lean a lot on like prior season awards like we do our postseason awards where we do that and that'll set the foundation for next year and that kind of a thing so it's not sitting down and watching every single player play unfortunately because that's impossible but it's trying to as best you can come to a consensus of how you think players will impact the game in the upcoming season how they've done so far and then how they've done at the end of the um sort of the college season so we do look i do look a lot at the the postseason awards each conference gives out. But then at the end of the day, it's also just kind of for fun too. try to give people an idea who did well, who didn't. And it gives you people an idea of the players that impressed me or the, our staff this season. And it really puts it in perspective when you think about that there are 333 Division One women's programs alone. <laughs> you know, not even right. not even getting to Division Two, Three, NA, yep. Junior College. You know, so so to manage that is is really impressive, and I always like being able to, you know, jump to the site to get a perspective of of like you say, like you know, who's doing well. Um, yeah. So so speaking of that, I mean, who who jumps out at you? Um, you know, of the graduating class, or, or or now, I guess you don't have to be, you know, finished with your eligibility to declare for the NWSL mm-hmm. draft, but but who, you know, who really jumps out at you for this upcoming NWSL draft? Yeah, so I think I, could, I think we can start by addressing the ele- elephant in the room with Tierna Davidson, who would clearly be, you know, if we're talking from like a who would be the number one pick sort of angle, she would clearly step into that role given her status uh, with the national team, potentially, like she's in camp now. I think that says a lot. So Jill is clearly in her year. I've talked to coaches and I haven't been able to confirm what her status is. I'm not going to be breaking news here on your podcast. Sorry, I'll, I'll do my right. best, but... Um, I, I'll let those contracts get signed and agreements be made before, uh, that comes into play. But she's obviously, I would say would then jump to the top in terms of the top player in the pool. Even if you could make an argument that maybe Haley Mace can step into the league quicker, you know, the, uh, the left back center back forward from UCLA, where you look at her engine, you look at her ability. She's, I think she's just enough clean on the ball to be a a successful professional player, particularly in the NWSL, I can be a little bit unfair to the league when, you know, looking at a player and seeing that, well, are you just going to be fast and quick enough to, and that's like, that's, that has to be like the starting point for evaluations at some point. But, um, you know, Mace obviously stands out. Uh, Tegan McGrady, I think 
when you're talking if you want to if you want to get into this NWSL draft and look at a player that could be picked and then factor into the 2023 Women's World Cup squad, she'd be in the conversation sort of by default because she's a left back and no whatever the issues are in American soccer, not having left-sided defenders always seems to be a problem. And I think McGrady's <laughs> a candidate. She may not have some of the upside as the current pros, but I think she has the tools and she's been in with the under 23 women's national team um, for whatever that means. And then I think she's good enough with the ball too, where you could see her as an international caliber left back. And then I'll, I'll just run down my list and you can stop me. Um, Julia Ashley, the right back from Carolina. I think when you look at her, there's more of the, she can compete physically and a tenacious hard worker, good leader. And that's more where she can excel than, you know, you're going to be playing her into space and she'll be clean with the ball and connecting passes. You know, there, there are a handful, I've heard a lot of good things and seen a lot of good things from CC Kaiser. I think that is probably, if you're looking for like a surprise player from a smaller program, not that Ole Miss is that small, but she is uh, highly rated. She's good with the ball. She's athletic. She can play in a number of attacking spots. So depending on team need and where she is in the draft, I think, you know, she's somebody that could end up being a, a higher pick than maybe some were expecting heading into the season, uh, especially when you consider like her goal scoring rate. It comes against a lot of bad teams. But one thing one coach said to me was that she can play in just about any attacking spot. So you're looking at, you know, versatility, which can really help you make a roster. I then there's a few other right. players that I really like that go more on the soccer player versus athlete category. Um, Emily Ogle, Penn State center midfielder. She's really smart clean but the question then is like how, can she keep a pace centrally same with jordan DiBiase, the attacking midfielder from stanford uh, you have dorian bailey another central midfielder from north carolina who again good player good with the ball but if we're talking how will the nwsl team use you even though i don't know that i think those players would be more suited in you know very a slower possession based game if they could latch on with a club in europe so uh, i know i threw a bunch of names at you there's also, Ali Prisak and Leah Pruitt from USC and Alana Cook and Sam Stavert, center backs, Alana being from uh, Stanford, Stab being from Clemson. So those are some of the players that come to mind immediately without I – mean, I'll have a, a draft rankings for your listeners to check out. I'm waiting until news becomes clarified, probably putting that out on, all on Wednesday. So uh, definitely check out our mm-hmm. site for um, – I'm, I'm, there's actually a, a – a large number of players now putting out highlight reels too, which really helps. And I think can help fans get to know players out oh, of the yeah. draft. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it helps you too yeah. in your prep. Oh, oh, well, sure. And I mean, when I think about, you know, it was um, four years ago this month that I first covered the draft live, but that was basically without any prep. That was, you know, me and, and my pal from Keeper Notes at the time, Hal Kaiser, just, you know, talking the whole draft live, uh, you know, via Mixler online. <laughs> and mm-hmm, then the next yeah. year was the first year that the, the league actually did a broadcast. But, you know, we didn't have the videos yet. So it's like each year, you know, it's gotten better and better in the production and the, you know, the, the features. And, you know, it's I. I love that they recognized how much the fans want to watch it. And I'm really excited mm-hmm. with this draft being in Chicago and Chicago having the first pick that, you know, yeah, I'm hoping that, a lot uh, of I completely Red Stars fans, section 134, you know. Yeah. I mean, when I was in uh, Baltimore for the 2016 one and uh, Shana Williams went in the first round. So the Spirits fans, you know, they had the biggest group. 
the whole yeah. spirit group was chanting Shana Williams, Shana. Like it was just, it, it brought a nice energy to it, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping we'll have, we'll have the same thing. And, and I saw on Twitter that there's a radio sports guy from Chicago who it sounds like his station has assigned him to cover the draft. And, and he, nice. even he was like, I'm, I'm going to have to tell the fangirl in, in me to, to calm down. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, I hope there, there's, there's a big energy to it because it is, it, it is still this exciting thing. I mean, I've, I've said it before how, Hey, you know, the draft is just the beginning. It's not the end of your journey, blah, 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 you know, and obviously mm-hmm. getting drafted, you know, all it means is that, this, you know, this team has reserved a spot for you, <laughs> you know, for, well, for preseason. They're basically it's giving not, you a tryout, you know, though, now with the way yeah. expansion has trended. And uh, I think, though, this year, not that I'm jumping on what you were saying, but this year is interesting, too, because the obviously the, the Women's World Cup takes place this summer. And you have the U.S., like, what, pre-World Cup tour? What, what, what is it called again? I don't even know what it's called, but... Are they, you know, they're playing, they're going yeah. on like send off series, this yeah. send off series, isn't it like 10 games yeah. too? So you're, you're looking at players that, um, well, the, the draft class may not seem to have the most direct impact as past years, at least, you know, when you look at the likes of, um, Emily Sonna was up there, Morgan Bryan being, you know, and obviously you can debate on how effective they've been at the sale level, obviously, but you look at there, there will be chances for these players that, won't happen during you know the three non-world cup years so uh, th- that's certainly interesting and worth keeping in the back of your mind when the draft play takes place in chicago this week yeah i mean this is very similar to 2015 is that there's opportunities here that there weren't last year and you know we we know there will be a slight increase to roster size we haven't heard the official announcement um, right. But equalizer well, there, there reported, you go. More opportunities. You know, that there be, yeah. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, if we, you know, could possibly see expansion in 2020 or 2021, that you know, you would know as that young player who's maybe not starting and getting a lot of minutes, but playing well otherwise, you know, in, in practice, that you could see down the line. It's like, hey, there's an opportunity for me. I've just got these few tough years, you know, you kind, of, you kind of think of it like grad school, you know, where, Hey, mm. here's, here, here's, here's my tough couple of years where I'm, I'm living on a budget, but the payoff is, you yeah. know, is, is in sight, you know, I think you would so, also come yeah. at it from the world cup year. You're not going to make the world cup roster. So if I'm one of these players that maybe I'm a late first or maybe I'm like a Dorian Bailey or Emily Ogle. And I'm like, well, I didn't study abroad when I was in school. So maybe I'm going to sign with an agency that'll help me look for options abroad too, because now is the best time to do it. If you hold that aspiration to be on the national team, then, uh, you know, maybe you go and have a year, year and a half. And if U S soccer is still sort of hell bent on players being in the NWSL to be looked at, which I know that I'm walk, I'm, I'm wandering into path of speculation and, and things that people <laughs> okay. might never admit to and confirm, but why not get that experience, then come back, maybe like a Christian Press, a better soccer player, a little more well-rounded that could then help me back on the radar when, you know, 2021 rolls around and World Cup prep for 2023 is getting going. Anyway, that's just one thought, too. Yeah, well, and I always feel like, hey, if I were that age, 
you know, and had that opportunity, even if it was not a highly paid opportunity, it's like, that's when you can afford to do right, it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, if, if, if someone else is going to pay you a little bit to live, live abroad, that, that sounds kind of cool. Um, so how would you, how would you describe this draft? I mean, as you've gotten into your research, prepping a draft board, um, how would you compare this draft to, to other NWSL drafts? You, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to quantify that because you're trying to guess what exactly these players will bring. I think that there are probably not as many, you know, I think if obviously if Tierna Davidson enters the draft, it's a little bit of a different conversation. So assuming she's not, there are less players here that I would look at and think, okay, there are some national team caliber players that are pretty clear to me, even if, even though a lot of the, those cases, it was a little bit cheating because they were already uh, in the camp and, you know, take uh, Virginia comes to mind too. Cause I saw a lot of them when they had that great spine of Emily Sonnet, Morgan Bryan and Danielle Colaprico. And I was looking at, you know, I, I can't remember if all three, I don't think all three were in the draft at the same time, but I saw players of their talent and ability and, and thought that they would have, pretty high ceilings when it came to professional or international soccer. So I think looking at this group as a whole, it's not quite at, at those kind of levels where you had these, these impact players that I think if, you know, if this goes right for them or they're in the right spot, they get those minutes and maybe they, they get a look from the national team or, you know, whatever. But I do think there are players that can be uh, effective, that can be difference makers, maybe eventually I, there are, there are, there are always those players that I don't know anything about and, will come in and maybe be a high pick. And, and then there's the angle of there's the local kid that the Red Stars want to bring in the fourth round. And maybe, you know, she makes the roster. Or she starts the season as an amateur and lives with her parents and tries to like really climb the ladder that way too. So, uh, you know, I do like the the central midfielders like Bailey and DiBiase and Ogle, but I'm just sort of, you know, I go, I go back to that sort of piece that I was talking about where when the rubber meets the road, will they be in kind of systems that will, let them succeed or will it be, you know, will the game just be a little bit too fast for them to be effective and to do the same things they did at this level. So um, those are kind of things that come to mind. I think, you know, the national champions are always under the microscope too, to an extent. And a lot of that can can be by default because, you know, the team, uh, you know, the casual women's soccer fan might've watched the college cup and, you know, seen Florida state. And I think that, they're not going to be that they had a lot of younger players, so they're not going to be super representative, super representative. Right. Um, right. Casey Tillman's probably, uh, I would say she's a fringe first rounder. There are a lot of, a lot. I've heard some good things, you know, she's versatile. She could probably be a central midfielder. She has that, you know, that little burst of speed athleticism. She's pretty smart. Um, and, uh, but I, the Natalie Quica is, and, you know, Megan Collin Connolly are going to go abroad because they're, both from Europe and um, right. everything I everything I've come to understand is they won't be in the draft. And you could even throw in she's not in Florida State, but Bunny Shaw would have been a really intriguing to see where she went. But everything I know. I know is that she won't be in. She looked to go abroad to start her career at least to begin with, and uh, she's a Ford from Tennessee for those uh, well, who haven't heard from her. But really exciting player. That, yeah, if if you if you put it in the context of this year where there's no way she, she should stay when, you know, she knows she'll be playing in a world cup and she just had this dynamic kind of international season and college season where if it weren't a world cup year, 
she wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, she wouldn't have those other stages. So she would be like the for sure number one. So, I mean, I'd yeah. be surprised. I'd be surprised if she declared because given, yeah. you know, all the press she's gotten internationally because of what's been happening with Jamaica, like, yeah. You, well, yeah, you she's the Guardian World Football. Oh, yeah. Guardians World Footballer of the Year, and that's like, yeah, it's less about her playing, but like any random club in France or, you know, Spain or wherever she's looking will like see that and be like, well, that's interesting. And I know that she's yeah. trying to meet up and sign with her representatives, but barring a huge shock and surprise, and then there's the international piece too, right? The uh, that's the whole that kind of mystifies me during draft time, where you know, for Canadians like a Victoria Pickett from Wisconsin who's yet to declare for the draft. And uh, Marie Levasseur, I believe, Bianca St. George, just a few like interesting looking like fringe NWSLers that are probably not going to get picked because the team would have to use an international spot for them. So that's the other piece that I, I've always struggled to like, should I downgrade a player for being Canadian? <laughs> but then I feel like I'm being xenophobic, <laughs> right? Like well, I do in well, the MLS things, draft too. Two things to counter that. One, last year... Sky Blue actually took Almadine Pierre-Louis in the first draft, That's knowing yeah. that, that you know, she would take a spot. And I'm pretty sure this is right, but, you know, with the World Cup, you know there will be this 8 to 10 week game, or say 8 to 10 game range where your yeah. internationals will be gone, so they won't be occupying their international slots. So you could... If those, you know, if those players are around, they could use those international slots. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's more from like a trying to speculate than it is. Yeah. To, and because you don't know, uh, you know, in both leagues, you don't know what these front offices have planned, haven't announced. And so like you think, oh, I think they'll take a right back or whatever. And then they sign a right back either like a day or two after a draft or a day or two before. And then you're just yeah. like, well so much for trying to project that off a position of need. And then the same being like, you can just translate that over to international slots. So it's like, well, they're going to bring in an Australian international, but they just haven't announced it. Then they're definitely not going to pick a Canadian in the draft or what, you know, but your point still stands regardless. It's more of like a approaching it and trying to guess what will happen, which is, you know, we're trying to guess the future. You're going to guarantee to be wrong pretty much all the time. (laughs) Well, and especially when you, you know, we've had an off season with three clubs not having coaches. You know, Spirit and and Dash finally got coaches at the end of the year. Orlando has named a, a GM, um, but still doesn't have a coach. And so, of course, that has held up um, what normally would be a, a bit a busy trading season. And it's it's yeah. been really really quiet. So maybe now that you know, the pieces are falling into place. It might not be this week, but maybe it's next week that there's trades or other acquisitions. And, you know, mm-hmm. so my feeling, my gut feeling with this draft is that it could be kind of wacky, kind of like, you know, kind of oh. like the way that the 2018 world cup was really wacky. <laughs> yeah. And you, and you enjoy always, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that always makes it interesting. The one thing that makes it from a, you know, selfish journalist, I'm sitting on the floor while three teams call timeouts in between picks in a row and the draft right. drags on till, yes. you know, you're like, tick, you know, like yeah. not to like complain gripe about it, but the, the complexity of it makes it interesting. Wasn't there that big trade too, uh, during the yeah. one during last year's draft and yeah, you know, it makes it more exciting from one perspective, but, uh, and probably difficult from your perspective if you're hosting it where you gotta like 
what am I going to say for 15 minutes while we wait? So, <laughs> Well, that's why I always tell our producer and my co-host, I'm like, just point me in any direction you want and I will start babbling. Just tell me what you want me to babble <laughs> about because, you know, most of my listeners know I, there's a lot of Woso topics I can, I can talk about. And, but that's why we do, um, our producers trying to line up a lot of different guests so that if we have yeah. those breaks, they can just get like, you know, throw the guest up onto the stage. Um, last year was so much better in terms of third and fourth round. There were almost no timeouts. And, and, I, and yeah. I think that's where, that's where we're heading, where it's like those picks get traded a lot, but not on game day. Yeah. You know, once, once, yeah, once you get down that deep. Rounds that yeah. You, yeah. Because yeah. the first draft I did, you know, video-wise in 2016 was about four hours. And 2017 was pretty close to four hours too. Last year was three hours, 15 minutes. So okay. That so maybe me, I'm just That I'm made just me much happier. Yeah. No, but you don't know. Like that, that's that the kind of like, like you don't know. Like, because you could have, you know, something come in and, and, and stop the whole thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and that big trade last year, that draft date trade, like we knew something was happening, but yeah. like we didn't, when we started the, the live broadcast, we hadn't had any news yet. So it's all happening behind the scenes and they're not telling us in our ears because there's so much going on. But then we see the graphics on the monitor change. It's like, Okay, guess there's been <laughs> yeah. and then you just have to wait for the commissioner to go up and say, Hey, you know, so it is yeah, and I can't imagine what it's it's like for you guys covering it, you know, just like you you can only hear what you hear, you know. Um and then you guys have the well dealing with the scrum of the player or you know, getting all the coaches at the end. It's just like a long day of like talking, talking, getting quotes, getting quotes, getting quotes. And, and just hoping like, that players make it there because for good reason, yes. you know, they have to pay their own way. And for many, it's a big day, but for others, it's like, well, I'm just going to wait and see what happens and kind of do my thing either way yeah. and, you know, finish school or maybe even look abroad, which obviously happens with some players here and there. And as I've already kind of touched on, but I think it will be interesting to see the, uh, I always try and track and, this is less easier to track in NWSL, like what players from the draft actually end up making the rosters and kind of do that mm-hmm. before the season starts. And it's a little, it's always, it's even more, more so premature for the, for the NWSL because so many, you know, players that like Duke, you know, get drafted by the courage and then they'll be like, all right, I'm going to finish my degree over here at Duke while going to training when I can, but it's not really a priority until what may rolls around. I think, did Amani Dorsey do that and then end up winning rookie of the year anyway last year? So yeah. um, I could be off yeah. on that, but it's like a, it's one of the many layers that you get. And I think the talent pool this year might not even be where last year's was in terms of players that can come in and make a difference. But I think as we already touched on the opportunities will, will be there. So I think that from my perspective, having known them, you know, the club and college players or followed them for so long, seeing that, next step and if it comes like if something clicks sooner rather than later they may have you know a cc kaiser might end up seeing way more time last you know i remember i think the spirit picked mallory eubanks and who is kind of like that same a little bit of the same category as kaiser coming from the sec but uh not i would say not first tier sec program not not your florida's or texas a&m's um mm-hmm. but i think that's I'm, I'm i know i'm rambling a little bit and apologies but <laughs> like sticking in the sec like they don't even have as many players you know your floridas your nms don't have their high-end players ready to come out a lot of their you know a lot of their players are right 
young side right. in the league. Even South Carolina, who is relatively reliable. Obviously, Bunny Shaw would be the exception, but she's she's not going to be there. So uh, that kind of you know, one of your co- top conferences not supplying elite talent is a good indicator of sort of the overall picture of the the draft pool. Yeah, and and it, it's like you said about Florida State, like they're not going to be represented well at this draft because yeah, they yeah. just won, but there's not a lot of seniors. So it reminds me a little bit of UCLA. You know, yeah, winning in 2013, that, it was the January yep. 2015 draft that was the all UCLA the draft. UCLA draft, yeah, I believe I was there. So, and that's why uh, this one kind of should be the all Stanford draft because they've, you know, they were the 2017 champions. Oh yeah, and they have a lot that's of a graduates, good, but we haven't seen we haven't seen a lot lot of those graduate yet. But anyway, Travis, thank you so much for taking the time to share and, and talk about what you do for top drawer soccer. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a great place for anybody that wants to keep in touch with the, uh, you know, college soccer and ob- obviously which youths are committing uh, to college soccer. And I really, I re- look forward to, to seeing your, your mock draft come out this week. <laughs> yeah. And, and <laughs> making fun of it. Yeah. Those are always good to get mocked. So my, uh, my grasp of NWSL is not where it is, in, at least in MLS, just kind of because t- of time. So I'm going to have to sift through and go check on your website for lots of help in seeing, okay, what does this team need that I can plausibly point this way? And then, of course, you know, as we discussed, the Tuna Davidson thing will have a ripple effect as well. So I appreciate you having me on, Jenna. Anytime you need some insight, I'm happy to jump on. Jim Cooper, the keeper, here with my favorite Texan. Tex-Mexican. Oh, Tex-Mexican. Even better. Tex-Mexican. I don't know that I'm a favorite Texan, but I'm, I bet I'm probably up a Okay, let's say you're my favorite Texican. <laughs> Which actually used to be a word. I mean, because, hey, like, Texas was Mexico a long time ago. Anyway, I'm here with Monica Gonzalez, former captain of the Mexican women's national team, a native Texan. Uh, broadcaster for ESPN and Women's World Cup in 2015 and 2011 and, and Gonzo Soccer Academy, blah, blah, blah. But most importantly, the new assistant coach for the Houston Dallas. So with all of that, uh, first I want to say, you know, welcome to NWSL. And really the reason I wanted to talk to you today was like, how did you get to the point of going, I want to be a coach? <laughs> because all the things you've done, like, to me, you always speak to growing the game, supporting the game, fighting for equal rights in the game, especially for Mexican women. Um, but I haven't seen a lot of coaching. So I want to know your journey of like yeah. what got you going, I think I want to do this. Well, I think it's easy to say I had a, a, a black, like a void in my life. So you back <laughs> maybe about a year ago. Um, I had just broke, I guess, a, a barrier. I had, I had uh, I asked to commentate for Champions League and uh-huh. analysts, and one of the first, uh, I guess, females in the United States to, to do a, a broadcast awesome. for Champions League as an analyst. Um, but at the time, I'm you know in LA, I'm by myself. I'm looking up where to you know get an Airbnb the night before, and then <laughs> I show up at four o'clock in the morning, and I'm getting my hair pulled and my face poked at, you know, with all the kind of makeup and. I'm just like, this isn't the way you, I prepare for a game. And then I go and I'm sitting in a room, a tiny little room by myself, 
uh, staring at a little red light, you know, freezing cold, um, in a dress, going like, this is not soccer, like, this is not soccer. It's not to complain, because not very many people get the opportunity to do that, or, or know that that's an opportunity now for women uh, to be commentators, and to be analysts, and to be play-by-play, and to be silent reporters, and that there's more television broadcasts, you know, every day, and more soccer broadcasts on television, and radio shows, and podcasts, and all this stuff. So communication is, is a very important thing that female athletes can go into, but there was something missing for me. And that something missing was me being on the field. Um, I'm a coach. And I've been a coach since the time I was 13, 14 years old. I was my eight-year-old cousins. Um, so I've coached my entire life. And um, you know, you know, see that on television. Um, it's something that, as uh, that Fox you know, League job uh, came, to, I guess it, was, it didn't come to a close. It was a little bit more difficult as Fox can spend a lot of money on this pool and say we don't have, right. we don't have space for a fourth, fourth person on our broadcast. Um, I had already turned down a job to do some communicating with NWSL last season, and there just wasn't anything to open up. So, you know, we have to look out for ourselves, and we always have. And I think anyone that's involved closely in women's game, as, as you know, that uh, it's not something that we've easily been able to make a living out of, and we've always had to stick out support ourselves and we would call it amor al arte, the love of the game. Um, so even though I was one of the lucky ones that's been able to make a living my whole life um, doing this, coaching is something I've always known I wanted to do. Um, I've coached in Chicago, I've coached club, um, I've coached at the foundation level, obviously having all 17 different cities in three countries. Uh, but that's like, you know, flying out once a year and, and, and training coaches more than anything else. And that's part of the, the Gonzo Soccer Academy. Right, and that's grassroots level. So this is where, you know, you're looking at life sport as a, as a, as a, as a means to, to keep girls from getting pregnant and staying off, off the streets, which it helps in, in, any, in any community. Um, but I, I was able to do, uh, after the WSA folded, uh, do some college coaching as a volunteer, uh, which was something that between national team call-ups, pretty much... I think most players got involved in, in college in some way or another to volunteer, somewhere to get stipends. Right. Uh, I was happy just to have the opportunity to get on the field and help the players out, and it's something that's been missing for me. So I really have to thank my agent, um, Carrie Goldberg, for, for coming up with the idea and reaching out to the Dynamo and reaching out to Brian Ching uh, in September, October, and um, letting them know that I was willing to move back to Houston from Mexico, that I'm really interested in going to get my UEFA B license and get my USSF players B license, which is kind of the, the state I'm at. I've always been working on my coaching licenses. And I don't know, I just think that being a, a game analyst is, is as awesome as you can get. It's, it's easy. It's like, you know, three days a week you're on, you're on a field talking about other people. But if you really love the game, you want to be on the field helping. You want to be part of what's helping the art to grow. What's part of making you know, those beautiful paintings that, that is the art of soccer. Um, and I miss that. And I've had that missing for, for a long time. So hopefully this is the right time for me to, to come back in. It's interesting to hear, you know, all the, the little soccer exposure, coaching exposures that you've had since the WSA folded, because that's the kind of thing that we don't see, and we don't hear about very much, and especially to hear that you've you've been working on your licenses because obviously that's not something that, that, that fans see. It's not something that we all know who has what license. And that, that can be uh, a pretty long, drawn-out, tedious 
process. And, and we've seen how, how hard it is when, you know, if you're just trying to keep playing, your opportunity to pursue those licenses can be few and far between and, or, or sometimes prohibitively expensive. Like, I was really excited <laughs> this past offseason to see that, you know, Utah hosted uh, a coaching course for a lot of the other cell players so they can get a, get a jump on yeah, that, that looking ahead to their, their post-playing career. I don't know that they have the April Hendricks scholarship. Uh, awarded more for thinking about the one person that I got well, I got a while back about ten years ago. I was just thinking wow, about that. Send, yeah, you have to fly the federation for that. And it's it's a lot smarter. I know that a lot of the unions and uh, one of the coolest things I've done in my life is work for the union. And I would have never known as a player what a union was. You think of railroad people, you think of teachers, you don't think of female soccer players. Right. We have rights that if we get injured, if we get pregnant, that we should be taken care of. And playing for the Mexico national team, we were paid uh, $200, $300 a month, you know, training eight years, uh, training eight months a year for the, for the Olympics. And that doesn't give you enough money to pay your rent. It doesn't give you enough money to, to, to live off of it by your own fleet. Um, and that's, you know, you're, you're technically performing a job for the, for the government. You're technically performing a job for the foundation, for the leagues. And so um, I'm, I'm happy that there's, um, you know, that there's a, there's a PFA, there's a the Players Football Association um, in the United States now. Um, it's not it's not necessarily affiliated with EPRO, uh, but that's where I was working. So I was able to be there firsthand in meetings with the Scottish team, the Irish team, uh, as they were bringing their players in and figuring out how to use their leverage as a group um, to be able to take it to the press and essentially threaten to make the federation look bad if they don't come out. You know, if you're being taken advantage of, um, you have every right to go and, and, and slap those people in the face and say, hey, you know, pay attention, step up. You know. We keep hearing those those stories several over the last year, like, you know, Denmark, uh, the players basically, you know, holding off from playing the Women's World Cup qualifier to make a point to their federation. And, ultimately, and did it work? Did it work? Did it work? Did it work? <laughs> well, it, I don't know. You tell me, but it, but they did miss out on going to the Women's World Cup. I mean that that was potentially three points that they had. Or or Ada Hegerberg not you know choosing not to play for Norway. Uh, you know for, for the Women's World Cup. You know her taking a stance. You know it's it's and I think we're just going to keep hearing a lot of those stories because the there's so of many. Yeah, and that's what I'm happy. I know. Um, Um, 
this week's draft, which, you know, I know with James only being announced, what, December 12th, December 13th, you know, you being on board about a week, you know, same for Brenton Saylor, the new goalkeeper coach. I mean, what kind of prep do you do um, to figure out what Dash needs and who you want to draft? I mean, that, that's got to be a lot of research. Yeah, it is. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say I've been watching every single game or I've been watching every single game. 
saw and I had to go back and luckily the NWSL is on uh, YouTube so you can go back and watch every single game. Yeah. The first, the first thing was to watch uh, Dash games and unfortunately I have been, my parents have lived here for 20 years and I've gone to Dash games, at least one or two Dash games every single season. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I can say I've had a you had season tickets a pretty good year. Read. Yeah, your dad too. Player Handy Carter is one of my most respected females uh, in, in the soccer industry. Uh, absolutely love her to death. She's one of my heroes. And her, she's got her foundation Haley's here. So I've given her a call. I still have a couple calls pending. Um, but it's it's more so to look at the talent we have, just to find the needs. Um, eventually, I'll go to every player and define how every player needs to get better. But for now, it's as a team. Uh, you know, where, where, where do we need talent? And I, I, it's no secret that we need center backs. We've got, you know, one, two great center backs and one leaving for the World Cup. Um, so we'll need, I think, at least one or two that can play at that position. Uh, center mids as well, possibly left back. And then you never know what's going to happen. And Kai Simon announced yesterday uh, she's going to have surgery and be out. And she's a great player who's been awesome for Australia and been awesome for the Dash. She's great for fans. Um, she's, she's a cool person. And of course, so. it's, it's probably already working her ass exactly. off to get back in time for training. Exactly. She's yeah. got to be ready for the World Cup. She's having surgery. She's going to be out for three months. Um, you know, ankle reconstruction and ankles are not easy. Um, no, no surgery. Just come back from any surgery. But I'll show the team that you know she's she's going to have to fight to get back on her national team. Yeah. You know, where in 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 all this is her. Um, being a coach because that's that's what I am in my in my heart and my soul and my DNA. 
as long as I can play, I play. And then when you can't play anymore, you try to teach everybody that you can what you can and pass on that passion. And, and I have a lot of it bottled up for a lot of years I haven't been able to share. So hopefully I won't talk too much in the locker room and bore the girls to death because I know coaches that talk too much, they'll get a lot better. Um, but it's about, you know, being concise and saying something meaningful to each person. And I think at the end of the day, um, uh, players appreciate a coach that they know has put in the time for them. And that's what I hope to do. You know, I'm, I'm a studier. I never got the grades that I was smart. I got the grades that I studied. And, um, and there's a lot of work left to do, to be honest. Well, and, and I kind of wonder at what point you're going to have, um, let, let's call it the Jim Guevara moment. Um, he shared this with me last year when he, he made a comment of how, like, the bulk of his players were young enough, and obviously he was old enough, that they had no idea that he had played for the U.S. national team. You know, so I wonder at what point, and I think it's still too early, but these people will be like, wait, who are you? I don't know. I didn't think any of them would know who I was or am, and I'm not going to go in. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. You let me know. Karen Jennings, too. Like, <laughs> I love one of the legs. Um, yeah, she just enabled that. And I don't know if she's my drafted into the WSA in 2002, played two seasons before the league folded. So you got to see, you know, you got to see the early pro league, and now you're going to be immersed very quickly, you know, in, into this league, which, you know, it's great to be able to say it, it's hitting its historic seventh season. We haven't had a women's pro soccer league reach that season. Um, so I can't really ask you about how NWSL is different yet, because you're just, you're just getting started, but your view of the women's game having called, you know, um, watched 2011, 2015, been on, you know, the broadcast for both Women's World Cup. You know, how have you seen the women's game evolve from when you were playing in WSA? I think um, a lot of people know that the secret is not about college scholarships, so it's getting very competitive. ECNL didn't exist when we were growing up. We right. Had 12, we had 12 teams in the whole Dallas area. We didn't have to leave Dallas. Um, so I think from just even making it to college and getting a scholarship is, is a, big, um, a big reason for someone to be proud, you know, and to be there to make it to the pro league. Um, it takes another level of commitment. I think we're talking about evolution of a sport, and we have to go back and realize that we're at the very, very, very beginning. We're at the learning curve. We've tried three times, and, and we're the third time, and we're almost, you know, we're almost there. I was bummed that, you know, Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. were part of it at the beginning, and Mexico kind of dropped out, um, and I won't go, I won't go much more into that, except for to say that I was kind of bummed, but there are things you had to do business-wise to make sure that the league survived, um, but as players, I don't think that, um, I think in some ways, we were very aware that we needed to carry a, a, car, a, you know, a series of a stack of game cards, schedule cards, Everywhere we went, put them down, and kind of be thinking of people who were going to try to sell tickets everywhere we you went. You were the foot soldiers. Yeah, and we were told that from the day that we went and sat down, that 
that this league is going to survive if we don't do that. And I don't know that players would do that anymore, so I'm going to make sure I tell them the first, the first week that they come in because I don't know that they are aware that how much of a difference they made or, or that it's that necessary. And it's the easy, it's the easy things to do. Sure, it's it's such a, a great way that um, a much more affordable way that grassroots reach to let a community as huge as Houston, where it's like it, the advertising buy to reach all of Houston would be, you know, prohibitively expensive. But if you're dropping, Instagram, yeah, if you're dropping out postcards at soccer stores and soccer friendly places, that's such an easy way to engage that community. Just taking ten minutes and responding to someone. Yeah, not having to go back to your team and say, "Hey, do I get one million dollars per tweet?" You know, for the team, and that kind of stuff isn't going to fly in our league. It's not going to fly fly with us. Um, you know, and, and then on the other hand, um, I, I have to look up to the women in a way because they they have had so much competition that they know um, little tricks and nuances about nutrition. I mean, I didn't know what quinoa or kale was when I was in <laughs> you know, we just I had like a bagel sandwich with uh, five slices of different have the cheese and cream cheese on it and, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and whatever you wanted. And I think that um, the discipline uh, in order to make it is more competitive. So um, I think there has to be a lot of respect for the women in that way. Now we're, we're talking about swimming and diving and, you know, becoming that competitive and that difficult yeah. um, to make it. And so anyone that's here, you know, has had to fight hard and, and, and sacrifice a lot to be here. So that's, that's commendable. And, and, you know, well, and, and talking about fighting hard and working hard, let's talk a little bit about um, Mexican women's soccer because, you know, one, the launch of Liga Mex Femenil, you know, huge change for for the FMF. And it's seen some, some success in its first few years. Um, and, of course, you had a lot of people kind of make the, the assumption during qualifying of, oh, Mexico didn't qualify for the Women's World Cup, the league must not be working. And what frustrated me with that is like, no, 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 it's a U23 league. They're looking long-term. Like, I, I think we're going to see the payoff for that league really with 2023 and possibly possibly with 2020. Hopefully, hopefully we'll see the payoff at some point. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, well, I mean, to, to, to me, and this is surface stuff, but it's like seeing the attendance numbers for, you know, their Apertura and Clausura playoffs, you know, seeing people accept those those brands where it's like you're, you're dealing with brands that are 100 years old. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's 100% Mexican. And 100% Mexican. Um, which, which is why I can't go. You know, if I wanted to play in that league, I couldn't play in that league. I know. I know. So. Well, and you're a little old, too. Uh, there's, well, yeah, there's only two over eight players well, per team. People don't know that the, that league took people for money. They took money for people. I So they PMA. stole money from FIFA, or they no, took they money from FIFA? For they applied yeah, for it. They apply for grants. Yeah. They know where to ask for money. And yeah. Before, it has a lot of money. And, um, you know, so I've actually looked for money to go to the Middle East uh, with FIFA Forward as well, because that's, that's where they're putting this, you know. Um, they, we can thank Moya Dodd for that. And, you know, the, at the moment, um, that people are kind of coming under the gun, and certain people are getting fired. She stepped up, was thrown in front of the microphone, and came up with her... Um, what did we call that? Her uh, memo or whatever that she had written for many times before. And then basically Johnny comes in and, and takes 
Jack. Like, I like that idea. And so okay. She's a 2.0. Oh, nice. Um, and so this is, you know, where uh, Sherry now has the opportunity with her little group to grow some. So can any of sell apply for one of these grants? They never sell? Yeah. Uh, probably. Or I guess U.S. Soccer would have to. It would have to be U.S. Soccer. It would have to be a youth, possibly W League. Um, you know, rest in peace or maybe to family. maybe to fund younger supplemental players. Yeah, because it's, it's with the youth. So like, um, oh, there's this yeah. woman named Lorena Soto who's in Congress, and she helped. She got some paper forward money, and she helped um, every single nation, which is I mean, it's ten nations, and they're, they're all they all have a lot of money. And yeah. Maybe besides uh, Bolivia and Ecuador, Ecuador plays for South America, uh, even men's leagues, and put in the youth. So you know, we have ECL. Standardization, like yeah, we have no. in NWSL. So this, is, and there's not nothing required, right? So these are, you know, I have girls in six different cities from Gonzo Soccer that are that okay to play Gonzo Soccer. They just go to the open time and play, and they've been asked to be 16 years old about Pachuca. Um, but the cool thing about Pachuca is that they provide high school and so they're getting to play high school. They're not getting paid. They're going to live. They're getting dorms. They're getting for food, and they're in a way better situation. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. They're taken care of. Yeah. Right. And this is, we're talking about youth, so we don't need. You know, we have a Nayeli Martel, national players that are getting paid on Tigris three hundred. Um, you know, up to about between three hundred and thousand dollars a month for them. Um, you know, but the, what you saw with the U seventeen women's world cup was Monica Bergata, who was on the national team as I was. She's about three or four years younger than me. Um, 
taking a team who has been together since they were 15. So they've been together for four years. This is the very first group that um, Leo, he, I mean, I used to talk to him, but he also, he also did a lot of writing for us, and he got us to have a, a younger team. You know, he's not just a kid to have to Right. Monica Murrah came on when she was 15 years old, but she's from 14. And now she's, as a 36-year-old, and then they made it to the World Cup final um, against Spain as the 17 year old. They've been together for four years. Wow. And that's the first time that, that we've seen the product or the result of what happens when a team gets to train for over a few years. Because that's never happened with us. It's always been a World Cup year, an Olympic year. We're together for six months, and then there's a two year lull, and everyone separate ways and then we come back two years later. Um, and that's what happens with like your Jamaica's, you know, your, your Costa Rica, your Panama, your everyone else but Canada, yeah, the US. So that's kind of the way the rest of the world works. And so what we saw with Monica Vergara was not only a female, you know, Andrea Rodebaugh didn't really get a good opportunity to be an attitude coach. So she had a little bit of success she was tossed um, you know for sure making other other people look bad. But Monica Vergara has been as, as there as a sidekick of Leo, you know, under in his shadow, his shadow of his was finally getting her own position and, and, and thrive and shine. And um, it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> Leo's not around, he's with America, but um, I bless him too, um, being a macho man and not knowing how to let a female you know, next to him shine quite more than him. But, you know, he still gets a lot of credit. I don't have any fear around, you know, yeah. what's true. Yeah. Um, you know, I've spent more time with him than I have with my own parents, and I love him to pieces, but he needs to know what his weaknesses are, and he's telling you. You know, when you step out, you say, I'm not away, but I keep my son in there. You know, the way the world works. So, we're struggling a little bit. You know, it's hard for me. What I do love is that we've gotten a lot of notes from James Carson um, about different Mexican players. There's a lot of good Mexican players out there. Mexican, Texan Mexican, Italian Mexican. Uh, you know, you guys remember like Ariana Lamara, Jimmy Clarius, Bianca Sierra, Stephanie Mayor. Like all these names are kind of coming across our inbox. Like where are they at now? They're in Iceland. Are they doing well? Should we bring them in? You know? Yeah. And I get to reach out to the Mexican coast and ask, how are they doing? Or if we can come in because they're team is awesome. Who are you breaking the starters? You know, who are the starters for the those wouldn't be his number one top top starter. Why the heck weren't they there during qualifiers? Because Iceland wouldn't release them? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I wonder too, looking ahead, um, you know, it, it's hard to believe, but we're basically a, just a year away from when CONCACAF would run qualifiers for the 2020 Olympics. You know, because the Olympics follows up so quickly on the Women's World Cup. And unlike Europe, which uses the Women's World Cup for its Olympic qualifying, we run a separate tournament. So, obviously, not qualifying for, for 2019 was horrible for Mexico, but there's an opportunity for the senior women's team within another year. So, it's like, is anybody looking ahead to that? you got to ask people forward to write some permission slips to get these players out of their we have a lot of talent. I didn't realize. Remember a player named Anissa Guajardo? Uh-huh. She came back out. I saw her come across yeah, the inbox. Yeah, she, she trained with the, the dad for yeah, a while. She yeah, trained and, and I And some of these players, um, Ariana Calderon came across as well. I didn't play. I mean, maybe they came into 
you know, but I'm looking, I'm like, yeah, bring her in. Yeah, bring her in. She's like, man, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that we had so many, you know, great talents in Mexican that aren't named Maribel Dominguez, you know? And I love Maribel Dominguez, but it's, it's awesome to see yeah. so much talent. And it's only going to grow now that we've got that leap, you know, down there, but they need to take that next step as well. And I'm excited to go with the dash. And, and now, now, Monterey, now NWSL is in a position where, you know, if those Mexican players wanted to return, um, they could probably still make decent money without being allocated, you know, by the Mexican national national team. Yeah, I was wondering, by the, by the I was wondering if the Federation would pay for some of them tryouts, come like tryouts. Yeah, I like their travel expenses. Yeah, yeah. they do that, right? No, You're asking me? Yeah. You know them better than I do. Yeah. You know the FMS better than I do. Because it's, it's, not, it's not formal anymore, right? It used to be that they paid their salaries. Like, right. That was that was the allocation yeah, system for the first two years. He was like, in Oregon, for instance, we're paying $2,000 for a salary. We're still on the bench in Chicago. And I'm like, yeah. And she has no confidence in Chicago because she was never taught how to do fitness or how to run a 120 because you never wanted to run a 120 because you thought we were going to sprain, sprain one of our muscles. So she's so, not fitting in a practice so she and she feels intimidated. Meet, and, and you yeah. have to run 120s and you're just like, what is this? Because we do these like cones and whatever. We don't do like straight up like, you know, yeah. like shuttles. And then maybe a cell is nothing if not athletically. challenge themselves athletically because they're not getting the athletic challenge in Europe, especially when, like, if you're playing PSG or early on, like, all your opponents are beating 5-0, you know, so it's like, I love that we've seen some, some foreign players come over and go, I need this extra challenge to, to fill out my game, so. All right, so, so wrapping it up, um, you know, I think it's been a fascinating journey for you, and, and I'm really looking forward to how this plays out for you this well, year, I mean, like, like getting back into playing and being back. I mean, I you've never lived in Houston, have you? I mean, I know you, you no. lived in the Valley, you no. lived in North Texas. I never yeah. So you now, are. sorry, you live here. <laughs> I said, yeah. that's the main thing, parents have to not move away. After your parents get in college, after your children go to college. So Houston's been the home base that you've never called home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I
Yeah. already done is that you haven't lied and said that you've watched NWSL, you know, um, because, and, and this is not something specific to NWSL, I've, I've seen this in MLS too, where you hire a coach who's not of the league, not familiar with the league, comes in and goes, yeah, I know how to do this, and then they get totally shown up, and, it, and it's like, no, I, I like someone coming in going, I don't know this, so I'm going to work my ass off to do the homework, do the research, watch the film, talk to people, you know. So that, that would be the first thing that I would have said. But you've already dressed that like, I'm not going to lie. Well, and I wasn't going to I didn't watch that as a fan. No, no, but yeah. Obviously, you were you were aware of these games and watching some of these games and actually attending some of these games, but you weren't in a position to, you didn't have the opportunity to watch every game. You're, you're, you're calling other games. I don't set the reminder on my Twitter. Okay, Everyone needs to tweet Monica every weekend. You know, any game on on NWSL, tweet Monica. Monica, are you watching? Oh, NW League. Yeah. I like watching the German. I really want to get German players. I would also say we're still at such an early point in this league's history. I mean, it's, it's so great to say, oh, we're in the seventh year, and that's more than, you know, twice as long as any other league. That's still so ridiculously young when you, when you think of, you know, a league and, and just the changes we've seen in a short time. So, you know, I would tell a new coach, especially a new assessment coach, like, be open to anything. There is no, this has always worked best, or this is the one way, or things should be like this. Like, I, I think there's an opportunity here to, you know, kind of write your own script and maybe create a different kind of success. And, I mean, I already like, you know, as a native Houstonian, the energy that, you know, James and Eddie and you have already brought, like, at our, our fan event last week of, like, you can tell how much it means you're like, oh, we want to do this, and we want to do this, and we want to do this. And, and, and especially Eddie being very frank about how what he feels Dash has done wrong in the past, where a lot of, people, a lot of people, a lot of people come in and, and just go, Oh, this was, this is all wonderful. This is all fine. And yeah. you know, smile, smile. Like because he's always smiling. Yeah. He seems like he's in a real, I haven't seen him. I mean, I don't see him mad. Yeah. But he seems like a really calm person. I haven't got the sense you know, for a man to make just, okay, just don't, lot, don't, like, don't scrimmage against him because <laughs> he's, he's like, the toughest defender out there, and apparently there is still a scar on Brian King's head from Eddie Robinson's teeth. This is what I've been told. Well, that's between King and Robinson. Well, no, this is because, and I know this isn't women's soccer, but I love this story. Um, Eddie's basically the person who discovered Brian King. Okay, so Eddie was playing for San Jose Earthquakes, 2002. Ching had been in MLS the year before, but got waived. So he was playing with the Sounders in the A-League, which is now the, well, it doesn't even exist really, but it's the lower leagues. They faced off in the U.S. Open Cup, and at halftime, Eddie Robinson says to the coach, dude, coach, you have to sign this guy because I can't contain him. And the coach told me, this is Don Kinnear, he's like, never once had I heard Eddie ever say I can't contain a player, you know, and, and, and Don was only goes, I'm like, 
like any like like broke his tooth on Ching's head. The scar is still there. <laughs> so I'm just like. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. So so yeah. So yeah, random unwoso uh, story. But, but the energy and enthusiasm. Here, so. Yeah, the energy and enthusiasm that Patty brings to it, James brings to it, and you bring it to where you're bringing this piece that they they can't provide. So that love for the game. Um, you know, like, talking about like female. Like, what do they have to do with me? Like, well, and, and that's what I think. Yeah. Well, it's just, we get into females. <laughs> yeah. Really, it's like let's, let's go. Let's go beyond the optics of a female hire and talk about like you're someone who's been working where you where you said the world is my employer, soccer is my employer. Where it's, it's like looking at it, you know, from the big picture. You know, also I think that you can be someone for the players of just like, you know, you've got all these things. How do I how do I do those things? Maybe give them the vision for there's something beyond this tough year. This, like I, I think of all the draftees where you get drafted, you're drafting the pros, you're thinking, oh my god, I've arrived. But frankly, it's the beginning of a really tough journey. You know, so I think for them to have somebody who has been through that journey, because obviously when you got drafted by Boston Breakers in 2003, there was no guarantee that you would get signed. You know, there was no guarantee you would be a starter. You, you know, you know, Mexico yeah, Mexico know. wasn't having regular high-paid yeah. national team coaches for you, so it was, yeah, it was taking a risk. You had to take those schedule cards with you and talk to people yeah. and, and sell yourself. And that, you know, like, yeah, I'm a professional guy. I'm like, hey, what do you do? I'm like, uh, yeah. So I, I think I think you can, you can bring a bigger picture to this, you know, that that another assistant coach, male or female, wouldn't be able wouldn't be able to do. So, so there's my answer. You know what else? I really want a championship. Well, yeah, well, I've been since I've won something. Rather than Texas. Really? Yeah. So was that was that like ODP really? or high school or club? All right. Well, you heard it here, folks. You heard it here first, folks. I think it's gonna happen. If, I mean, the couple of problems this next year. If not, you know, I'm committed to stay here until it does. I mean, I, I just like look at my fingers. Wasn't something I did with Mexico a lot over the years, and or thought about a lot as a coach because I don't really think about coaches to end in yeah, and this is this is a shorter, more direct. Not like we want to develop the program over two years. This is like, hey, there's this many games and there's playoffs. Really you want to make the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm going to start this thing where next time I go to get, you know, the first you have time, all these empty first fingers. Time the players you want see, championship rings. I know. I've never been married, but I was, I was trying to think if I wanted the left ring finger or the right ring finger. So it's going to be on the right ring finger, and anytime anyone sees me, they're going to see my left, my right ring finger um, with the nail painted orange. No matter what color my fingers are painted, they nice. could be painted dirt, dirt brown. Nice. It could be yellow from not being painted. But that one, I got to find the right color orange with myself or whoever. It's Nike color code eight eight eight. You'll see it. Okay. Really, Nike code. Well, I mean, okay. yeah, based on Nike colors, that's, that's the dash ones. Okay. Do they, do they sell a nail polish? We'll, we'll find them for you. So it's going to just be that finger until I get that big ring. Until we get that ring, because it's not just for the players. It's not just for all you guys watching. It's for the city. It's for the, all the people, all the social causes. Okay, Monica's totally drunk the Kool-Aid, and I was not the one that spiked it. 
Um, but we're going to wrap it up with that. You heard it here first. Monica Gonzalez wants to win something. And Monica, thank you so much for sitting down with me and sharing, sharing lots of great information. And what about the people not in Houston that are listening? Um, everybody, we're all, we're all at the end of the day, like we're all at the end of the day, we're all at the end of the day, we're all people that, or if you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to this end of this minute, you know, you're into the game, you're into the game, and that's what I want to ring from my friend Jen Cooper, the keeper here with another keeper, a much better keeper, obviously. Uh, Jillian Lloyden, a former U.S. national team keeper, also played NWSL, coached in NWSL. And Jill, I heard you had a a trip down to South America last month as well for coaching. Yeah, headed down down to Uruguay with our U17 um, team. Uh, Didn't do as well as we had hoped, but overall it was a great experience for me and great experience for our young players in our country. And of course, you also um, spend a lot of time uh, working on the broadcast for SEC. I know you called the SEC tournament, so you know those those players really, really well. Um, and so, I wanted to talk to you as you know, former goalkeeper and a goalkeeper trainer and, and coach, as we're going into the 2019 NWSL draft, and we know the roster sizes will be bigger for the first time in league history that I feel like this is, you know, a, a draft where we're probably going to see more goalkeepers uh, picked, more, you know, more selected, and more have a chance to actually make a roster. Um, so first I want to ask you your thoughts on the, the SEC goalkeepers who we know have already declared for the draft and there's already been four of them. And, you know, and, and I can say pretty easily, it's like SEC is, you know, one of the dominant um, conferences, you know, so it's, it's, it's great to see so many of their keepers declare, but I want to get your thoughts on on them starting of course, with uh, Caroline Brockmeyer from, from LSU. Well, first of all, I I think it's pertinent to, mentioned that this might be one of the most important drafts goalkeeper-wise in NWSL history. Um, In the past, we've seen up to five goalkeepers taken now with the expansion of the rosters and and with the possibility of almost every team having a goalkeeper that may be in the World Cup or in training camps leading up to the World Cup. It's even more vital for these teams to to do their homework and, and make a good selection in terms of their goalkeeping. And it could be one of the biggest pools of goalkeepers that we've seen um, so far in a draft history. Um, with the SEC goalkeepers, four really talented goalkeepers in the SEC that I've been able to watch for the last three years. Um, and really lucky that um, we've been able to work with two of them consistently um, in Shea Yanez at Tennessee since she's been about 15 years old. And more so with Kayla Marquise in the last year um, as she interned with us last summer with the Keeper Institute. So it's been a joy working with two of them, and I think they have um, great chances to be drafted. Shay is um, really, really dominant on flank services. She's really good on coming out and claiming set pieces and things from the flank. She has the ability to come up with um, 
great saves in terms of 1v1. She's really good 1v1. And with her feet, she's decent. She makes good decisions with her feet. Um, she's able to ping around the back, start the attack, and has the ability to play long as well. Um, Kayla Marquis a little different. She has a big frame. She's six six foot, six one. Um, she's decent with her feet. You know, Florida likes to play out of the back. So she was used quite often this year. Um, we actually are just breaking down her season and Shay's season that we're doing at the convention and noticing that they're uh-huh. touching the ball with their feet eight times as much as they are with their hands. So um, both goalkeepers really good in, in build up. Wow. And I, I uh, let, let's take a little side sidetrack and uh, I want to, I want to hear what your plan is for your, your presentation at, at the convention. That sounds really interesting. So that's, that's, you know, this, this week coming up in, in Chicago. So you've got a presentation about keepers playing with their feet or just analyzing keeper play or what's the focus? Um, so I run a goalkeeper training school called the Keeper Institute. Um, there's eight of us that, that work there right now, goalkeepers, pro, um, current pros and old pros. And right now our team collectively is dissecting three goalkeepers data from their entire college season. We've clipped out every single touch that they've taken from the entire season. And now we're putting wow. in different cat- categories of um, was it a 1v1 save? What type of 1v1 save was it? Was it distribution that they went through over around with their right foot, their left foot? Was their goal kick long? Did they play out? All of those things. And we're presenting on what it takes to be successful, essentially, at the college and professional level um, using our data and our experience and how then do you train your goalkeepers to be successful at that level and what they should expect at that level. So when you look at, at, at these four keepers or, or any of the keepers that get drafted, you know, what, what is the transition like for a player who's top of their game in college, you know, making the NCAA tournament, um, you know, setting school records, but, you know, we know there's still a big jump to the pros. So what, what, are the obstacles in front of them transitioning to the pro game? Whew. Let me get out my scroll. Um, I, think it is, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the hardest jump for any player, any position to go from college to pro. Um, you go typically the goalkeepers that will get drafted were probably one of the best players on their team um, and might play on a team that's really good where they see action not so often or they might be you know the star or mainstay of the team Um, but it really is the most difficult jump because you haven't played at that level you're not as um, experienced at that higher pace level unless you have international experience which I'm not sure many of the goalkeepers coming out of the draft do Um, but the speed of play is so much quicker you're playing against more experienced players um, some of the best players in the world um, you're having to make quick decisions, whether you're coming off your line, stay on your line, playing out of the back. You have to make quick decisions in traffic when um, it, you're coming to claim a ball on flank service or a set piece. And not only is that that aspect, but the living away and now you're having an eight-month-long season compared to your three-month-long season with your college. And now it's a, a rigorous season, a rigorous preseason that is four or five weeks long at times. Um, double days, triple days, video, and basically you went from being a student athlete to now just primarily just being an athlete. 
and having to take care of your body, uh, it's one of the hardest transitions, I think. Yeah. And, and we've seen, you know, a lot of big names and keepers for the, for the college level, like, you know, not get drafted or, you know, go into preseason and then we, we never hear them again. And I think part of that is it's been so competitive in the league. We've only had really two goalkeeper slots per team, but that's why I'm so excited about this season where with an increase in rosters, you know, with, with the world cup absences that, you know, teams are going to need a third keeper who's there week in, week out. So I feel like the opportunity for this year is, is, is huge, but you know, that challenge still remains of, you know, how do you, how do you transition to the pro game? And, and I also think a a transition for all, all the players is it's such a long season compared to the college with, which even if you make it all the way to the NCAA tournament is still, you know, less than, less than four months where, you know, we've got what preseason starts in March and you could go all the way to late October for the, for NWSL. Right. I I think really what it comes down to, and and this is always um, the most important thing to me, and I'll talk about character until the day I die, but I believe that character really is going to be the separator and determination, uh, determining factor, whether you make it in this league or not, your resilience and your grit that you show because no goalkeeper that's getting drafted this year is getting drafted to be a number one starter. And so you're going to have to sit behind someone who typically at all teams, the players have had international experience playing at the highest level in the world. They have experience playing pro or they've been sitting someone like Haley Kottmeyer, who's been in the league for a really long time and still hasn't got a shot to be number one, sitting behind one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And she's still waiting her time five, six years later. And so you, it, it's a it's a long process. You have to be in it for the long haul. You have to develop every day, come to work every day, and you know not get paid like a professional. If you're definitely in one of those last goalkeeper spots, the three, not get paid like a professional, but pay your dues day in, day out, work your butt off, develop, and wait your turn. And I think some goalkeepers have that, and some don't. And if you don't have that character to withstand years of patience then this league is for for you yeah it's it's something we we always say on the draft broadcast is you know getting selected by a team seems like it's the end of a long journey but it's actually the very beginning of your next journey yeah and it, and and quite frankly it really depends on what team you get chosen to some teams have a lot of amenities and some don't and sometimes those um, some of those clubs are going to be not as professional as your college teams, and you have to, you know, put some even more work and grind even more. And it's real, it's it's harder, and it's a lot more adversity that you have to overcome. But I, I, I truly believe on the other side of that, if you can withstand it, you have um, a career in this league, and it's it's the best in the world. It really is, and you get to play with the best players in the world. And if you do that, then you can be your best self ultimately. And I also think it, it, it's got to be a challenge that you're coming from a college environment where, you know, your teammates don't change on the fly. You know, there, there's not trades and call-ups and stuff like that. And there's an infrastructure that's designed to support you in terms of whether it's your dorm or an academic advisor or the athletic department or your parents or, or, or whatever. And so you could suddenly be, you know, in a strange city 
not knowing anybody on the team, things are changing left and right, and you don't have, you know, an academic advisor to go talk to, <laughs> or, you know, or right. a, a roommate that you've known for three years, or, or, or that kind of thing. So it is like, I feel like it's, you know, jumping off uh, the diving board into the deep end. And, <laughs> but, you know, I, I like, I like what you're saying, you know, where it, it's like, if you just, if you just keep, you know, if you, if you work for it, you know, there, there, there is a payoff. You know, yeah, they're, it really they're, is. I, mean, I was I was that keeper. I was that keeper in I don't know whenever that was 2009 when I was selected. Didn't know anyone on my team. Was on the best team, like one of the best teams, talent wise, with like some of the best players in the world, and no one knew who I was. And my job was to go in, work every day, back up the best goalkeeper in the world, and hope solo, and get better every day. And ultimately, like I had a long career playing professionally. But I really attribute it to that first year. Okay, I'm going to learn from the best in the world. I get to train with Paul Rogers, who's the best goalkeeper coach I've ever worked with. And I'm going to work hard every single day and get better because one day I'll have a chance. And I want to make sure that I'm prepared when I have that chance. Well, and and I like looking back at that 2009 WPS draft because – and that that was the original draft where it had a lot of picks because it was basically, you know, filling up all the teams. But – Looking back in your round, some of the names in your round, Becca Morris, Jen Buzkowski, Leanne Robinson, it's like, you know, some some great names, you know, and, and that, you know, nothing was handed to them. And, and they're not, you know, no one would have known their names now. I mean, then, right. but we all know, we all know them, them now because of, you know, what they just year in, year out for the league and that they, they built um, pretty respectable professional careers yeah the three of them I mean that's that's a good draft round the three of those (laughs) they're all NWSL champions um (laughs) and they had really long careers that is still playing but all three of them were just consummate pros um took care of their bodies developed every day grind it worked really really hard and and I and I think that had really successful careers that they can you know be happy with and and proud of well, and, and one last thing, Jill, coming out of um, a college like Villanova, I mean, I remember when I first was aware of who you are kind of tracking all my year stats and I was just like, huh, that's not a big name school. And usually you're seeing, you know, uh, national team players at that point, you know, come out of big name schools. So talk about, you know, how you got that look for the national team and how, you know, coming from, a, a program that's not, you know, always in the NCAA tournament and, and widely heralded. I mean, cause I think that's a challenge for a keeper too. Yeah. I mean, here's the deal. Like I wasn't the most athletic goalkeeper. I wasn't the best goalkeeper, um, but I was just gritty. You know, I had a lot of resilience as a kid um, growing up with like not the best resources, never had goalkeeper training really until I got to college. And once I did, it was like, okay, I love this. I want to do this. I'm, be at practice every day early, stay late, um, go out every day in, in the winter when it's snowing, like all of those things. And and that um, that kind of character really stayed with me when I became a pro. And I already knew that I had to, to train hard. I had to work hard. And luckily, between my college season and getting drafted, I had one year to develop. And I got to work with um, Denise Reddy, who's now the Sky Blue coach, and she helped me with my distribution and went down to a combine, and my distribution was one of the best ones there. Um, I got selected by St. Louis, and when I got there, you know, I was just hardworking, 
I didn't really know anything about anything. I just knew I wanted to work hard. And I think, like, Hope recognized that. She recognized how coachable I was and how hardworking and technical I was. Had said something to someone who who probably was important. And um, then we got Paul Rogers as our goalkeeper coach, and I got to train with him every day. And, I mean, training is everything, and how you play is going to be a culmination of how you train. And that's really how I got my break, and I attribute a lot of that to the league. Yeah, and and I've I've told that story over and over about how, you know, without – WPS and WSA and of course now NWSL that there's certain players who would never have had a shot at, at getting into the national team and that's you know why you Absolutely. know these leagues are just so Look crucial to us. I mean, yeah, I mean McCall Zerboni is a perfect example. Like she's just such an inspiration to so many young players now. Just she does just does what she loves and she she she's a winner. She's a champion. Like. She works hard, she's gritty, and she's been able to fulfill that dream. And hopefully she makes the World Cup roster coming up. But without the league, there would be no McCall's or Bonies in this world. Right, right, definitely. Well, Jill, thanks so much for taking the time to share your insight on on training keepers and, and, you know, keepers making the adjustment uh, from college to the pros. And, you know, look forward to seeing what happens in the draft next week. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. All right, time to wrap it up at the back four. This Thursday, January 10th, it's the 2019 NWSL College Draft. Live coverage begins 11 a.m. Central with a free stream available on nwslsoccer.com. NWSL's YouTube channel, and NWSL's Facebook page. Yes, I will be on the broadcast once again, along with Jordan Angeli, Lori Lindsay, and Marissa Pilla. If you don't know those names, Jordan and Lori both played in the league, both called a lot of games uh, for NWSL last year. And Marissa was our host in Philly last year. She does a lot with the Philadelphia Union. And hey, if you're anywhere near Chicago, feel free to come to the draft. It's at the convention center uh, called McCormick Place. The draft itself is free and open to the public. I think there's even a Facebook event that the league set up. Um, The bulk of the convention that goes on around the draft is not free to the public, but the draft itself is. So feel free to come by. All right, looking ahead to this summer, I have the entire Women's World Cup schedule, including kickoff times, entered into my Keeper Notes Google Calendar. And I have linked that calendar to my website at keepernotes.com. Note that every single game, not just the USA games, will air live on one of the Fox channels in the U.S. um, and should be available on Fox Sports Go as well. And Telemundo has the Spanish language right, so they'll be showing games as well. And believe it or not, we are just five months away from opening day. But this month, we've got some games. Uh, The U.S. women will play two friendlies on European soil as they prepare to defend their Women's World Cup title. On Saturday the 19th, they'll face France. That game airs live on Fox Sports 1 at 1.30 p.m. Central. And then they'll play Spain a few days later on the 22nd at 1.30 p.m. again, with that game airing on ESPN2. There are 27 players with the team right now in training camp in Portugal. And I would guess that Jill Ellis might cut the squad down to 24 players before those two matches. 
And last for today, the 2018 postseason edition of my Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac, including color photos, player registry, coach registry, all-time stat leaders, and more, is available for purchase at keepernotes.com in PDF format. And right now I am on schedule to have a printed version available for sale by the end of January. And I'm also planning to release a complete statistical guide to the Women's World Cup this March. So stay tuned for more details on that. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone who shares about the Mix Zone or KeeperNotes.com online. I really appreciate that. And as always, many thanks to producer Sean for making this happen. But now she's everybody's girl.